Okay, it's Soulful 7 Conversations, and this is probably going to be the most special one for me because my guest is my mom. And if there is anyone in my entire life, anytime I'm asked um, who is the person or, you know, that has really influenced your life and who you think you are and how you see the world and your faith, it's you, Mom, every single time. You humble me with that. That is, but it's interesting you say that because I would say that about my mother. Uh So maybe mother's a little bit of a secret. And this is the Mother's Day conversation. Um, no, but I, um, just for introducing you, so you are the mother of six girls, I'm the first, and then we're all 18 months apart, and um, you are also my editor, so every single thing that I write, you're the first person that looks at it, and I can honestly say, I mean, we the running joke is that I write too much, and you're the one who edited it. And then it's down to where it is. Um, you get the pure message. And so I'm so grateful for that. And um, you're, and every single one of my sisters would say that is that you're their best friend, you're my best friend. So I would say you're my touchstone. I think also I married the male version of you. <laughs> so, which means I married someone um, and you are this person that is. Um, pure kindness. You always choose to see the best in me and believe in me. Well, I do believe in you. And so you've given me this strong foundation from which I can be a person in the world. So that is like the ultimate, you know, mother. That is such a kind thing to say. I I find that very humbling, like I said. Well, and I I think that that came from. You know, of course, I love you to death, but also you've influenced my spiritual life in such a big way. And mainly it's because you just have these free conversations where we talk about things. And and so I just want to give a little bit of that to to other people. Um, and so I'm going to start with a big question, Mom. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm how, ready. how do you know that God exists? Oh, in the faces of my children and the love I feel for them, and and love anyway. I've told you before that um, God comes to my mind and heart and soul in the love I have for you girls and for your father. And when I'm walking in nature, I feel a closeness there. And unfortunately, or fortunately, in the face of, of someone dying or terrible tragedy, you immediately, God, come here. And those are my three moments of finding um, sacredness in, in life. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a, um, a watershed event in your life where you were just certain, yes, I know God is real and I feel God's presence? Well, I think possibly <laughs> the birth of you. Number one. The, the magic of, of being given this little baby. But then, you know, I had five others, and I kept feeling that way. But that was, I was walking on the beach with your grandmother, Mimi, who was in rapture that she was getting ready to have her first grandchild, that this miracle, and it sort of was a revelation. Yeah, it was a miracle. Mm-hmm. and New life. New life. Right. 
It is. It's, um, we talk about this all the time that, you know, we get to see God at work in nature. We both really appreciate nature and that's where we both feel God's presence is in nature and, um, new life. And, but also, I mean, we know through Charlie's cancer, we know through the loss of friends, um, that you feel God's presence there too. Yes. You seek it. And in fact, um, there's a Psalm verse that says, uh, Lord, I seek ye, I will. And I repeat that to myself a lot. Seek ye, I will. I know. It's the us seeking instead of just experiencing God. Apparently. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, what St. Augustine says that we're restless until we find rest in you. So there, there, there's this inner longing that we all feel, whether we acknowledge it or not, to be near or close to God. Well, it goes to your idea of hope that how can there not be any hope without that? Mm-hmm. The feeling. I don't know. I just, um, growing up in our household, I feel like um, having a faith, it was just this very um, authentic gentle experience, right? It was just, I don't know, I guess watching you, it was like that this was something that was a gift that you kind of experienced and looked into, whether it's reading the Bible and you read it every single morning, um, that it just was, I don't know that I have so many friends where religion was mean and authoritative and pressured and you had to do right. And I don't know, it just never, you set us on this path of, you know, it was a gentle experience of God, I guess. That's the only way that I knew to do it or wanted to do it. Um, I certainly went to church, but the, the institution of, of church was never the only route for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's what was the gift to me. As you taught me that, Farrell, there's so many ways for you to experience God. And don't close it down and make God narrow. Like, feel free to experience lots of things. And you also um, have given me the permission to doubt, too, and to not be 100% on things. How can I not explain that from my own point of view? Doubts are just part of it. It's part of it. I know. It's just, um, I went to the conference, you know, in New Mexico last week with Richard Rohr, and he said, oh, I'm very wary of people that have absolute certitude about faith and God, because God is so beyond us being able to pinpoint every little thing. I certainly agree with that. We live in this world, and I guess, you know, I felt it especially after September 11th, and then I felt it especially, you know, with my firstborn being diagnosed with cancer and then so many other times that I felt the ground beneath me. Fear. Yeah, Such fear, fear, genuine fear genuine and insecurity fear. in my grounding. And um, I'll never forget, I'm not going to cry even mentioning it, but I remember us being in the little apartment 
in New York and coming home one day from the hospital and it had been a terrible day with terrible news. And I was just, you know, I'm like, I'm not believing in God. I'm not believing in anything. And I'm so angry. Mm. And I remember you saying, and I, I was like, I don't even want a faith. And I remember you saying, um, that you would carry my faith for me until I could carry it again for myself. Mm. And that I thought you were going to say, love will make you do what you thought you could not do. Love will make you do what you thought you could not do, which is what we did. But I don't think there's anything a greater gift to say that you'll carry your faith for you. That was a big, that was a big one, mom. <laughs> You've done a lot for me, editing sermons and <laughs> helping me write my books and helping me raise my kids. But the idea that I was at that point of absolute, ah, terrific vulnerability and distance. And Don't you, you I was lifted me up, mom. And you gave I me, but to come around from that, um, what are some things that you, in moments like that, you still hold as your absolute truths? Yeah, I just pray fervently. And somehow in the prayer process, I do feel like something good might happen. So you're anticipating that God will. Something's going to work out. And I'm just going to pray and pray and pray. And then it's like I've... I've I've done everything I could do. It frees me up mm -hmm. a little bit. Right. Yeah, someone was, I was speaking to a women's group um, yesterday, and, and one of the women said, I mean, what do you do when you find you, you are either overwhelmed by the evil in the world or you are completely knocked at the knees by something terrible that happens in your life? Like, what do you do? And I said, you know, that's, that's when you are down on your knees and it's ultimate surrender. That's and you just have to trust. Do. All you can do is trust. It's you like you're, you you do not have the power in your own muscles or your own brain. And you just have to say, I'm just going to trust that, which is larger than myself, that and ultimate that moment, wait. but that place and then wait, waiting. So what do we do about the waiting? Now? Oh, the waiting it, it's, it's faith. The biggest thing you can do is, and I don't know, I have, that was a really tough time with Charlie. And the, the not knowing how it would end up and waiting. You know, maybe being together was very helpful. I know, all of us together. Yeah. I mean, I will say if there was, you know, we're going to talk about parenting in a minute because I think a lot of people want to know, like, how in the world did you raise six children that turned out well, somewhat well? But I will say that one thing that, I, that you have... I might even, I guess you did verbalize this, but it was also just in practice and, and living is, is that we would all show up for one another right. in a Remember big, the huge country way. Bunny story two by two? Yeah, the little country bunny. Yeah, it's, it's that sense of you're a, you're a member with somebody that, that you have each other to count on. Mm -hmm. um, that that's such a gift and don't ever belittle it in any way. That that is such that is probably the greatest gift that you've given us that we have one another. And listen, I mean, I've seen it. I hope my sisters feel like I've shown up for them because my sisters have really shown up for me. 
I mean, really. I mean, two of my sister's blood flows through Charlie. I mean, they've just, you know, really showed up for me and done really beautiful things. That was the worst of times, but in that funny way, it was the best of times, too. You know? The great paradox. How is that possible that you could be in such a terrific... I don't want to have to go through that again, but it did... um, Knit us together together tighter. And show what we really felt Mm -hmm. for one another. Well, are there other like truths that you just, in your inner being, whatever happens outside of you, whatever disappointments, whatever the aging process, the worrying about your children, all those things that you just know, like on the inside, that steel rod that you just really, truly hunker down and think these are truths that I can hold on to. I guess I have to go back to my mother again because she was so sure it it makes me find that child in myself to be sure to mm-hmm. to try very hard to it's going to be alright God loves me and something good's going to happen I mean I guess that's what we pass down the DNA because me knowing that you believe and you feel like ultimately God will do something good so we don't know what that exactly is going to look like but you just feel like ultimately ultimately and we talk about life after death all the time and like what do we think heaven's going to be like and we're both really hoping we don't know if it's going to be like what was the author even alexander has said he flew on a butterfly no <laughs> we're like we'll go for it <laughs> let's fly on the butterfly we're we're open for whatever god has afterwards but but we do i guess that's what you've instilled in me and you you told elizabeth my friend Elizabeth, who came over yesterday, you said, well, Farrell just came out of the womb optimistic. And that's true. And that's where the hope comes from. But I think that you have instilled in me this, just that little kernel of, I don't care how bad it gets, God will somehow in some way do something good. Just hang on. Hang on. Right. Hang on. Yeah. But, but like when I look at you, I think of, um, you are easy to forgive. Well, that is so generous. And you have got definitely some rose-colored glasses on, and I really appreciate it. No, you are, um, though. You're easy to forgive. You, and, and we laugh because in our family, we are not afraid to <laughs> say our shortcomings. Like, we're not afraid to say what our flaws not. are, and we put a little sense of humor and say that, that you know, that. right? We're just, we let that. it all hang out is how we say it at our house. We, we are just very That's honest true. about. And we haven't mentioned your father, but there's a lot of that for that. I mean, yeah, he definitely he is definitely. very vocal about everything, right? Yeah. Which sets you free. Yeah. Cause I think that, um, in some ways it's really nice to be able to say, yeah, I'm not really good at that. Or I made a big old mistake and I'm really sorry and put it out there on the table. Or I, you know, I just really didn't show up with the best version of myself right then. (laughs) And then we all kind of just give each other permission. One little piece of the pie. You remember me telling you that, that, that. The majority of the pie is really good. You've got maybe a little sliver here that's not good. That's not so good. (laughs) Right. That's true. That's true. The other thing I feel like is you always choose to see the best in all of us. But I see that. I don't, I mean, there is such good in each one of you. And 
that's a gift to me. I know, but you do that to everybody else. You always give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, no, I think I'm trying to be fair, that they had this happening, or that's why this mm -hmm. happened, or they thought that. And you, you finally get to rock bottom and to the serial killer that you cannot give them an inch, and God really has to take that person. And, and give them the inch. Yeah, I don't know. You've raised all six of us, and I think Dad takes part in this too, that we are very open-minded and not judgmental. Like we always, so. you know, we're always, so. and I, what I think it is, I've been thinking about this because we talk about, we live in this world now that's so contentious and everybody's divisive and it's from the car ride down Hillsborough Road, people beeping their horns at you when you don't go fast enough or, you know, to turning on the TV and people bickering back and forth. And I feel like you, you've taught us somehow to try to see the good that everybody has well, a perspective and want to. you want to see the good I in people. I want to see the good. I don't want to discover that, that this is just so evil and bad. That right. This good here. Constantly trying to trying see the good. Trying to find the good. Yeah. That's can be a real effort, can <laughs> Okay, so I admire your spiritual life and I feel like it has kind of set the model for mine and probably a lot of my sisters. Who would you say has been the biggest influence on your own spiritual life? Well, I, of course, said my, my mother. And why your mother? She believed. And she just naturally, everything was under God's hand. And I, you know, I believed her. And for a long time, I didn't investigate anything beyond that. Mm -hmm. And she's been gone so long, you know, I've had to do my own spiritual journey without her, but the memory of her started the whole thing of how she just believed in, in all these truths that I want to hold on to, that life sort of shakes you up and makes it hard to hang on, but I will, and your dad, I, that your, your father is a man of faith that, that inspires me. Mm -hmm. And you do, too. I don't know about me, Mom, but um, would you say there are, because you, did, you didn't go to divinity school, but you've pretty much read everything that you could read. I mean, you've read Beekner, C.S. Lewis, Richard Rohr. I mean, you've covered the gamut. I mean, you've read A.J. Levine, who's one of my professors at divinity school. Stuff. You want to get people like that's version of things and, and select through and, and filter it and and see what you go with and what you don't go with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was interested. You're I curious. Just, yeah, curious. To that read things. Minds like that, what were they saying? And and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed each one of them. I took something from each one of them. Mm -hmm. Taken. Is there one in particular that you, like if you told someone, oh, you really, that really was great for my faith? I guess you'd have to say C.S. Lewis. The, the one that was so poignant and, and that searching mind, intellect, painful upbringing was Frederick Beekner and his autobiography broke my heart but healed my heart at the same time with his mm -hmm. story. So I've never forgotten that. Because mm -hmm. he has three in that series, I think, yes. where he talks about it. It's like a spiritual yes. autobiography. It's and beautiful. It's, it takes you through his life. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I'm telling you, Lameness Arrival with 
Victor, Victor Hugo's Hugo. Archbishop, Bishop's Candlesticks. I've never forgotten that. And anytime I see sacrificial love, I get a real thump in my heart about, you know, this is beyond your usual human experience. Mm -hmm. And when you love beyond yourself, beyond yourself, which you do it all the time, Mom, it's crazy. Not like those people are doing, but I do. You're such a gift. Of course, I love each one of you. You're doing this interview. It's an example of sacrificial love. <laughs> not one cell of your body. Yes, not one cell of your body wants to do that. This is out of my comfort zone for sure. Um, okay, so faith. There's so many diff different definitions. How people experience faith. If you had to like introduce or say kind of what your faith is. What does that mean to you? Belief, trust, uh, love is stronger than anything else. And just looking at nature and knowing about all the little intricate things in nature, that there's some big plan here that I can't necessarily see, but I do have faith that it's there and that God's working, and the idea of Jesus Christ and what he, he did and said, um, I believe, I just plain believe it. Maybe it's from the root of wanting to believe, but I do, I, I am going to believe. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's a, an effort, and sometimes it comes very easily. To believe. To believe. Mm. That's beautiful, okay. All right, so um, six kids. So I feel like I'm sitting here. You're right there. And I'm in the throes of it. I mean, before we even sat down, we had Finn running around the house, the three-year-old. You had to put him in timeout yesterday. Um, <laughs> that was too bad. <laughs> you're talking to Belle about teenage stuff. You're talking to Charlie about, I don't even know, girls and all sorts of stuff, the 16-year-old. But I can honestly tell you, I think you... You must have made it seem easier than it is. I'm <laughs> here. I mean, because I don't know if I would have stepped into these shoes if I had known how much it taxes you in mind and body, but especially it spirit. It does. I mean, it's just like raising these kids. It just like clutches the heart, and and you did it. I mean, I can honestly say. You did it so gracefully and calmly, unless we had lumps and bumps, and that really bothered you. <laughs> if there was anything mysterious that popped up on our bodies, you kind of went into a tailspin. That's but other true. than that, the actual raising of us, you seemed to like take it in calm stride. Nothing ever ruffled so. your feathers so much. It was probably ruffling underneath, and you just didn't see it. But. I have to go back to your father. I mean, it, it, and your husband. That it was a team effort. A team effort. And he supported me one hundred and fifty percent. And when I was, it's not like the fake thing. When I was feeling a little weak about it, it seemed like your dad would rush in and come in and and put it all together again. Save the day. Save the day. So then you could have your next. And then I would be ready to be patient. 
and it's going to work out. Yes, patient is the and operative word. It's the, just a D in algebra. I, you know, that's <laughs> She changed her grade. She signed her own paper. <laughs> that's no big deal. Yeah. Boy, went, could we write a book, yeah, could we? we? <laughs> All the things. You know, um, well, yeah, can, can you I tell me? Like, and I said this. I really liked each one of you. I loved you as a mother loves a child. But I really had a lot of faith in each each one of y'all. Were such a gift. Because we all have different personalities we and we have different. And I just, I really didn't feel that competitive with anybody or or worried about. I don't know what seemed like other people were worrying about. I thought y'all were great. Well, we were having lunch yesterday with Ramsey, who's, I'm the oldest and Ramsey's the youngest. And we joke because Ramsey's probably the best in the bunch. Oh, she's good. <laughs> but anyway, um, and we were just talking about, you know, parenting and our styles. And I was saying, gosh, I just wish that I was more intentional. I feel like I'm That's very much word for me. What fly that? by the seat of your pants. Well, I think that, that, I, that there are people that are reading parenting books and, and are really in, being super intentional about how, what they say. And I, I feel like it's always books. just for me, like, whew, okay, <laughs> we made it through the day that's and exactly, this is how we're rolling. That's exactly how I do it. And maybe I that's how it was. I will say though, my, my essay for Swanee my essay for Swanee, which I'm sure this would not fly now because everybody has to be so like erudite and everything, but I wrote about growing up in Grand Central Station. And that's what it was, being the oldest of six children, yeah. that it was such an experience to grow up. And I think when I was actually in it, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm never going to have this many children. And now it's like, I can see you get all these little people and all these little personalities. But if we were talking intentionality, what would you say are the things that you really were hoping that you were instilling in us? To be a good person, to do the right thing, to tell the truth, to be kind, to do what you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you y'all kind of race us to pull our boots pull our bootstraps yeah. up and like get, get on to up it. There. This this yeah. is this is the task and let's do it. And you it. do it. Right. You also race us to be super independent. Again, I have to give your dad a lot of credit for that because he's that person and he expected that from you. He expected you. it for us. And he gave you a lot of independence that probably I'd have had a struggle giving you. He had mm -hmm. a lot of faith that you'd do the job. And I guess and you And maybe that's what it. it is with parents. It's, it's um, when the child knows that you believe in them and you have faith in them, then that tends to make them want to rise to the occasion. I, I, I definitely think that. Right? It, do. it does. Um I, really I will say you instilled in us. I love that. Yeah. Oh, well, we knew if we fell off, we were in major trouble. Yeah. It was like your life, yeah. you're living so your life, and then all of a sudden it. it comes to an end, <laughs> an abrupt stop. Dad made that very clear. Um, but you, you know, when I look at my own life, what's important to me, like family was the number one for y'all. Absolutely. Like in many ways, you sacrifice a lot of other things. I think of it like that. You didn't enjoy think of it. it. I did not. Mm -mm. I, I mean, other people may have looked at it differently. Oh, those poor people with all those children, the diapers, the activities. I loved it. Mm -hmm. You I miss it, don't you? I loved it. I do. 
I do. I would do it all over again. But I'm lucky to get to watch you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you so saw far, me spinning top yesterday. Twenty-three. I think you're all doing. Yes, we should say you have twenty-three grandchildren. Twenty-three grandchildren, and all of you. I'm so grateful. You're all doing the best you can do. <laughs> we you're are. all in there kicking, trying to to meet those goals that I see are important too with mm -hmm. raising a family. And you know, each day isn't perfect, that's for sure. Um, well, you know, you know, part of the, my blog and living soulfully and all those things is um, food and sitting at the table. And I mean, dad was really big with that because food is important to dad. <laughs> He's like the big bear that has to it be fed. Still is. Very important to him. And it's very important to him that the presentation is beautiful. <laughs> but, but growing up, it was just known that you sat down with your family for dinner. I mean, most nights, except going to the Chinese restaurant on Friday nights. I was thinking you'd bring that up. <laughs> yes, we did. My childhood, my dad loved going to the Chinese restaurant. Um, and then dad would cook on Sunday night. But we just, the table was kind of our central place. And so I've kind of adopted that into my own family, that the table is the place where you check in. It's the place where we're connected. It's the place where we slow down. And then food was really important. We all love food. Right. Um, but I think that's kind of lost in our culture now that, and maybe it seems kind of traditional for everyone to sit down at the table, right. but we still do it. When we go home to Buttermoon Farm, I mean, we, you know, we laugh because we eat breakfast and while we're at breakfast, we talk about what we're going to do for lunch. And then at lunch, dad's like, and at lunch, he leaves, he gives us the whole menu for what dinner is going to be while we're eating our lunch. It's just, know, that's true. it's such an that's important true. part of, of who we are. Our little apparatus is the white family and the white girls. And communication. Maybe we do. Communication's always communication. been important. Yeah, well, you kind of said, I'll, I'll never forget when we had the birds and bees conversation. <laughs> and we were riding in the Suburban, and I was in the passenger, of course, and you were driving. I can't remember how old I was, oh, but you decided this was the moment. And I don't know, you, you, know, you gave the medical, whatever, biological discussion, like but then you said... How, what a sacred act it was and it was never to be taken lightly and that it was a God-given expression of love between two people and that I should never ever underestimate that and I bring that up because um, you've got teenagers well no 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 I bring it up because I feel like you always you know you gave us instruction but you always seem to bring out the sacred part of things too so you always gave a little underlying message that kind of hooked us I just want to um, see the world like that. You want to see the world like that. I want to find the good. I really the good and the sacred, and I don't know. So you kind of made our eyes made look for that. What people say sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was a gift. Okay, six kids. I mean, if you were, you know, because there are a lot of mothers that are probably listening to this. If you had to give any words of advice, I know you used to say a lazy mother is the best mother because your mother told you that. Can you explain that? I was horrified. I was so embarrassed. I was maybe 14. And teenagers are so, you know, worried about what their parents say. And I can see us in, in her little art. She had a little room that was an art place. Art, she painted. 
And she said that, lazy mothers are best. And I was mortified. I was thinking of my other friends and, you know, they wanted her to do all these things I saw my friends' mothers doing. And, and you know, as time went on, the explanation was, I want you to do for yourself. I want you to know how to take care of yourself. And, and if you don't do these jobs, I mean, one of the instances that made her say something like that is she made me use the telephone to call the plumber to dial the number and say the white residence was having a problem. <laughs> and I was undone. I did not want to do that. And uh, she said, you know, you just need to do things. You, you, you can do this. Mm -hmm. And then it's empowering. Empowering. And that's the point, is you don't do for them what they can do for themselves. Because in some way, if you believe... And having it, six really makes that work yeah, well. You have to... You kind of have, have to, to do have stuff. have to do that. that. That's the country bunny thing. The two jobs... The two that are doing the job. And we're all working towards a common goal. Of make this family work. Work, like make the family run. Right. Right. That the family is it. But that was a very, um, what do you call that? A misnomer of... of yeah, because it sounds like you're being yeah lazy. but deeply. Well, in the culture we're in right now where you've got the parents that are paying for their kids to, <laughs> to get into college and the kids don't even know their parents are doing that, all that, that helicopter parenting. And mom, I don't think this was the case when you were raising us, but now it's like every child has some varying degree of anxiety. And in some ways, the helicopter parent, they say that if your child has anxiety, it means one of your parents has anxiety. And, and so in some ways, you saying the lazy mother stepping back and saying, you know what, Farrell, you can call the plumber and tell him the toilet's broken <laughs> is saying, I believe in you and you've got two legs to stand on and yeah. I, you can make it in this or, world. Or, or like, a, like the three-year-old, go upstairs and find your shoes. Right. You go find your you shoes. You go find your shoes. Right. And if you, you can't find them after X amount of time, I will come look. Right. But you go get them. And the, a child's so proud when they can do something mm -hmm. and you're trying to instill that of sense of I can do and I would tell you that Finn Mason thinks he can do. Oh gosh, I think Finn thinks he can rule the world I right now. <laughs> Lord help us. Um, okay, another thing mom that you always said to us a little, you know, you have all these antidotes, but one of them is Farrell always follow the straight and narrow path. Stay in the middle of the road. Stay in the middle of the road. So what does that really mean? Well, when you're tempted to go one direction or another, step back and look at the big picture and stay grounded and um, balanced, balanced and don't go on, on a tangent or don't get too high, don't get too low, don't choose to investigate something that, that might turn out to be a real negative. Be careful that you've... You know, the straight and narrow is your moral character, but even choices in life, if you stay in the middle of the road, you won't run into the ditch. It's kind of like the two drink rule you always oh, said. No, only I'm two drinks. Two drinks and two drinks. <laughs> yes, a lady Keep should only have ice. two drinks. More ice. Yes, because then you start to veer off the straight and narrow path. You, you don't um, have your sensibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, what do you think about the soul? Do you think we have a soul? Is that the part of us that 
we when we talk I'm, about heaven, we live on. My existence on that. You're banking your existence yeah. on your soul. Because otherwise, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm. It's just going to be in the dirt, and that's it. So I'm counting on it. Just seems too miraculous. This whole world and the people in it, and all the amazing thing that God has created this, and there must be. I, I, I just believe. I believe that there is more there, and the soul. Has so there's more in us. More in us than than just the cells that are are clicking along. Because mm-hmm. you're right now, you're helping me edit my homily on on for Easter, and we're talking about the resurrection and right. this whole, this whole idea of you know the that God never wastes anything, and that God's always. We don't know the timing part of it, but that that soul that's in us, that, that, that will not be gone, come to its final end. Like that will, if you could have known my my mother in her prime before she ended up with Alzheimer's, the essence of that woman, it's hard to think she's, you know, that that's not been protected. That that's in, that, that, that spark of her that has got to live on. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm just counting on it. My whole, you know, that's that's the foundation of of, um, of dear God. I remember you helping me do a prayer, and it was all about like, dear God, let let there be the soul in me, and let that be the part in me that will transcend. I don't know if they're the butterflies. <laughs> I know we don't know if we're gonna fly on butterflies. And uh, neither did my mom, but but she believed in. I'd like to articulate that she passed that on to me. Mm-hmm. This idea. Okay, so I have a big birthday coming up this summer. Another one of those beautiful that milestones. Not that big. I know it's not that big. <laughs> However, you know the things that you kind of lay out for us is is you are showing us how to age gracefully, and you are not like overly crazy. Like you're not doing the boat. You haven't done a thing to your face. And you're beautiful, and you take care of yourself, body, body, mind, and spirit. But aging is really—it is—it's a humbling experience. Certainly, is. you know. I mean, down to like you—you you go for a jog, and then all of a sudden your hip hurts. <laughs> Why? Well, how is that possible? That my hip would hurt. Um, down to the, you know, the lines above the forehead to, you know, just the the transition of your body and, and so mom, how, how do we handle aging? Oh, mercy, Farrell. This is a hard one. Uh, one day at a time, mm-hmm. one day at a time and keep counting your blessings. Yeah. And, just grateful for where you, someone said to me, I've, I'm grateful. I've had a life. So whatever happens from here on in, there are plenty of people that don't, didn't get this. So, uh, you know, to, to be grateful, to try not to be afraid, take care of myself as best I can. Which you do. And for the sake of my children, who I adore more than anything, to try to be brave and to try to keep up as best I can and be there for them. Mm -hmm. Right. And also just you don't look too closely in the mirror. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Lighting needs to yeah. be just so. I mean, we, you need to hold your head up like that. 
I know, I'm kind of bummed because at the old house, you know, we've moved into the new house and at the old house, you know, the big running joke was that we didn't have mirrors in our bathroom. We had that little tiny mirror because we kept saying, we're going to get a mirror, we're going to get a mirror, and we just never got a mirror. So we had that little mirror. It wasn't all bad. I know, because I never could quite see the whole picture. And that was a good thing, right? That was a good thing. Okay, I, you know, that's, that's good advice because I do think that it's, um, the aging process is, is, is a humbling process. Well, I will say health is more important than beauty. Health at is this, more important than beauty. At this point in time, I'm grateful for good health and I'm not as worried about the wrinkles and the great, the roots in my hair and the mm-hmm. aching back or whatever parts aren't going well. If I've, if I've got my health, um, I'm not going to be quite as vain as maybe I was in my thirties. Yeah, that's true. Wanting to, you know, wear the right makeup or put on the great dress. Health just is it. Okay. So mom, I texted all the sisters to say they would ask what questions they wanted to ask you. And of course I got some really hilarious ones, which we won't repeat (laughs) um, by some of the sisters. And then I got some that are really, you know, I think are important. And one of them I think was by Mayor Carlisle. She said, how, ask mom, how do you instill the soulfulness in a child? Whatever is important to the parent is important to the child. If they have the, the love-parent-child relationship, whatever I thought was important until you become a seriously big adult is important to you. So by my example of it being important, you at least put some respect to it. Right. So make, like me seeing you reading C.S. Lewis or uh, knowing that nighttime you're... Nighttime prayers. Nighttime or, prayers. Uh, let's ask God to help us. Do you remember the funny story of the the resurrection of the kittens in the car? Oh, uh, yes. Tell that story. We had a cat named Vanilla who we took to the beach with us, pregnant with her kittens. Which we have to say that we hid the cat from Dad because he was like, we will never have cats in this house ever. Yeah. And we hid him in that bathroom for a while without him knowing. <laughs> Until he had, then she got, went around the neighborhood and got pregnant. She Vanilla got pregnant. was like. So we went to the beach and took the cat because she was supposed to have the, the kittens. And she did have the kittens. The night we arrived under the bed. It was under Ramsey's then bed. Then we decided we were, it was time to drive home. And your dad, food again is important. So we stopped off in Columbia. The box with the cat and her seven kittens was in the car. And we rolled down the little windows, but we went inside and did the all-you-can-eat buffet with your dad. <laughs> Come back, and the kittens are, are like wilted, here like, to be dead. Right. Six little girls are crying. Daddy, we killed the kittens. We killed the kittens. And your dad says, let's pray. And all the little girls were praying. Your dad runs into the restaurant and gets water. And he gets a straw and he starts dripping water on the little kitten's mouth. They were all watching from the seat. And they come back alive, mm-hmm. and it was it was you know those odd moments with a young like like Finn's age or, or Rose's, 
to witness a parent say, well, let's all pray and mm-hmm. see what can happen. And what can happen. You know, the cats, the kittens might not have made it, but right. we were so blessed that they did. We were right in time for them. And giving kids the opportunity to see that it's in, that you're seeking help that way, that they'll seek help that way. Oh, that's good, Mom. And you did have us. We did go to. We grew up going to church. Oh, yeah. that was church, important. Church was part of it. Of course, I, all yeah, I can remember church. about church was the Krispy Kreme donuts that were in the Sunday school classroom. <laughs> and I took the rank of who could eat the most Krispy Kreme donuts. Well, that was church for me for a while. But I think that going to church and and you know I know from you know Charlie's cancer. I mean, the church that I grew up in was the church that showed up for me in New York. Remember, they were all sending scriptures. They were sending food all the way up to New. York City from that church. Do you remember um, the lady at the jewelry store in Spartanburg that you know you got all your hey, Jane Hardy by any oh, chance? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Well, she's retiring, and I actually talked to her on the phone yesterday, and she said that she has a little prayer place in her home. Her husband has died, and it's time to retire. And she asked about how is Charlie. And I said, you know, he's over six feet tall and he's wonderful. And she said, at 12 o'clock, I always pray for Charlie. Still? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, Jane Hart, if you forget, that's okay, but keep doing that. Yeah. Just keep he's dropping a truck. Please keep praying for him. I said that exact thing. He said he's in his big black truck and we could still pray. We can still pray. Uh, But yes, the communion of believers really helps. in directing a child mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, and because you, I knew my church family. You tend to, to meet nicer people there, too. I mean, more more spirit-filled, righteous people that mm-hmm. are at church. You might not, but there there's a good chance you will. Right. I mean, Carl has a friend in New York who, who can't seem to meet the right person, but she thought she'd join one of those online dating right. sites. And I said, Nicole, why don't you suggest to her to go to church? That she might need somebody. That the, the type young man that would need or want to go to church might have a more open heart to being a good husband and, and wanting a relationship, too. So church is important. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about that, but to be around other people that feel that way is a real strengthening path for your children and yourself. Right. Well, and I, you know, I know Charlie right now, he has, you know, Adam, who is at the church that he goes to, that, that is such a figure for him. Like just someone that yeah, he looks up to you. people besides your parents. Yeah, besides your parents that will speak hope into you and encourage you and listen to you and, and all of those things. Well, that, that's a role for a parent, too, is to find those people. For you. Gosh, yeah. To, to get your kids around good influence people like that. Well, and I feel like you surrounded us with families when we were growing up, too. We were so blessed with that. With these wonderful families, the bars and the homes and Aunt Jen and that were really on the same, trying to be on the same path path as we were. Okay. That's a, that's a good one. Um, okay. So, you know, we always talk, I think I wrote about this one time that, that we have the creator, but that one of the things, the DNA that's in us is to create, and you are an artist. I and enjoy so, painting, as my mother did. Right, yeah. I know. So it's in the DNA, Mom, to be an artist, and you're a very, you're a I have several 
pieces in the house that I think of. But I think that um, I asked the question because, you know, you, you having something in your life that you feel like is, is joy. Like that gives you joy. You're I laughed doing... with somebody recently. It's, I feel like I'm the child that's just playing with, with finger paint. And yeah. it's just, it's sort of like playing with a puppy. It's a childlike feeling that you get when you create something. Well, and there's something, I mean, it's biblical. I mean, Jesus says, you know, become like a child again. And it is in those moments that we do become like a child again. That it seems up. like we, and yet it seems like we, it, it's like transcends happiness that we feel that flush of joy. I agree. Right? When you, like, I know when it's I write a lightheartedness. A, yeah. I, it, it's a real pleasure. And I know that some artists are so dark and, and but for me, that moment of, of, Creating something is is just pure pleasure. Um, Ann Stoffer, I did Soulful Seven with her, and she used some medical term or scientific term, but she says it's you, you need to have experiences of living in the flow. And when you're living in the like flow, you're, you, it's almost like your brain turns off and it's almost, and your soul turns on and you're not thinking about anything else and you're just so fully present in the moment. That's Enjoy. So, true. so many hours have gone. You didn't realize you you thought you painted ten minutes, or and it's it's three hours later or four hours that later. you've done something. Joyful and my shoulder like hurts a little bit. What was I doing? <laughs> All right, mom. So you've stepped through the gates, and you actually get to stand soul to soul. You're standing before God. What would you like God to hear, and what would you say to God? Thank you. Forgive me. I did the best I could do. <laughs> I tried. And I, I seemed to fail a lot, but I tried. And I guess I did. Oh, Mom, you're definitely going to hear that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you way beyond exceeded God's expectations for you. Okay. Way beyond. A wonderful story your professor at Vanderbilt said when they, somebody in front of her in line said, I don't think you should be here. And she said, well, Jesus gets, he'll decide. Right. And I like that. That, that was AJ. Have mercy, yeah. have mercy on me. That's have what mercy, I'll say. Have mercy, have mercy on, me. on me. Yeah, that's true. So, so were you afraid of death? I am, af I don't want to leave you. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm afraid of suffering, of having a terrible death, a terrible lingering horrible illness which I don't get a choice about I saw my mother do that mm -hmm. and it's a terrible thing um, you know that's where your faith has to step up and think you know this is it's like going to first grade the, young, the man who was mm -hmm. as a child afraid to go and he discovered that first grade was pretty fun and wonderful. Like better than anything he's done before. Better than what he thought toddlerhood was or kindergarten. And um, that's faith. That's that's a rock bottom faith to trust. This is going to be okay. I can do this. this transition. But the most pain of the thing is leaving y'all. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know, quantum physics though now, Mom, where it says, you know, the parallel universes that we're all going to be together and it's going to be all right. I, that would be that God is so big <laughs> in the plan. Well, I, you know, I can go with that. Yeah, I, I can go. That, you know, you just look up to the heavens and the sky and think, what in the world is all this? Mm -hmm. And there is just so much going on that I'm going to 
wait it out, and trust that God's got me in his hands. And, you know, for you, it's always, I mean, I think that if you had to do a one word faith, it would be love. Like Absolutely. you just so trust that love, love is got to be. all in enough. enough. Like it will provide, it will carry us through. It will make all things well. All will be and well. we'll be all right. Because what did you tell me one time? The quality of love that I feel for you, the profundity of the love that you feel for me and the, the love that I feel for the kids. It's the same to what I think God's love must be. Right. And then that's supposed to be so much, much more, more beyond that, know, right? This, this is pretty big, what I feel for you. So um, that love must, uh, must be going to save me. I think you should do more of your um, Madonna paintings, the mother and child yeah, I paintings. I thought that the other day that I've gotten such pleasure out of seeing the one that your sister yeah, Harrison you have that beautiful took. painting. And um, I'm kind of envious. I love a mother and child. It's imperfect, but hanging up there on the wall, it, it has a good image, a good a good feel. Well, and I remember you telling me, I think I was just having a really hard day and I was really down on how I was doing as a parent. I think I'd like, you know, made a D minus on everything on that day. And you, you said to me, you said, Farrell, it's like, if, as long as they know that you love them, that's, that's so true. If they know you they'll, love them, all that other stuff will, yeah, yeah, they'll forgive you for it. They won't remember it even. And you will. You remember uh, it. I mean, right. Um, but that's a good thing. They don't. They just will remember if you didn't love them. And when I was a teenager, my mother was put out with me for something. It was about what I had said. Who ever gets done. mad at you, Mom? Oh, I think I wanted to go somewhere, and she didn't want me to go. Teenage stuff. And she said, well, I know you think I don't love you. And I was absolutely stunned because, no, <laughs> I know you love me. We're right. We just don't like, I don't like what you're saying, but I never once thought you didn't love, love me. me. And I think that's why you want your child to feel that no question, whatever punishment, whatever deprivation, whatever disagreement that they know you without love fail, them, that, that never you're, changes. You're in there for the long haul, right? And you care more than anybody that's out there. And, and that was true for me and true for you. I, I want so much for you. Well, I don't know. I think that one of the other things when we're talking about the role of the mother, I feel like with you, you always see the best in me or the potential of me, which is kind of divine. Like, like, I feel it's like God is always, it's just there. I, I or maybe then if it's there, there, which I do believe that we all have that divinity, that, that goodness, that, that capacity for love in us. And maybe that's the job of the mothers to show you and remind and you that father. you have that and, and the father. father. And this is mother's yeah. day, but I keep saying your dad showed love. Oh, listen, no one's taught me the, you know, one of the things that's apparent for me is constantly, I want to raise children that are kind in the world. And so, you know, when I drop them off at school, I'm like, make this day count, do, do something kind. And I feel like dad was, he's like the, he's like the king of doing acts of kindness. He would love the word king. <laughs> he would love the current word king, dad, that larger than life. But there is a sense of both of y'all 
teaching us to be that kindness. And we live in a world right now that feels really unkind across the board too. Like you can feel that in, in the school system. You can feel it at the grocery store. You can feel it in your church. I mean, you can feel that there is, you know, people are really like angsting over the political situation. And then that kind of translate to how they road rage on the road. And people are, there is this angst in our culture. And I just, if we would just reel it back one and, and like see each other and be kind to one another, just do the right thing and do the right thing. What happened to that? That maybe sometimes people just don't do the right thing. Your job is to to create that in your own home. Right. And hopefully they'll carry it out. That they will do the right thing. Make the right choice about what's, what's the circumstance and do right. Mm-hmm. Which is hopefully kind. <laughs> that you will be kind. Yeah. Humble and kind, Humble if we're quoting Tim, um, Tim McGraw. Humble and kind, right? Or Micah in the Bible. Or Micah, right. Which, why don't we talk about that? Because you are an avid reader, which you have then instilled in me. Um, you know, everybody always asks, like, gosh, why, you know, what made you want to read so much? And I'm like, well, mom used to give us two Oreos and a cup of milk on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon and say, I'll see you in two hours. Um, but <laughs> you I did encourage this sense. You love to read. I love to read. And so it's you did. You did. Place. There's a couple of the sisters that don't love to read as much much, but for the most part, we all love to read. It's kind of one of those things. I'm going to talk about it in a minute, the things that give you soul joy or give you peace or, you know, contentment and in, in a good book for us is like, Oh, it's a, a good we story. We love a good story. I, story. I know. You we know, do. We love a good story. I mean, by the campfire and find out, well, what happens next? I'm that person. I love the story. Okay, so if you could give me like a couple of books that you feel like really just across years that, and they don't have to be erudite, just things that really gave you pleasure. Well, I mentioned Layman Zero. Right. Um, Ivanhoe. Ivanhoe, which I haven't read. Well, that one meant something to me. Um, Catcher in the Rye about broke my heart, but, but that was a meaningful book. Um... Henry Nowen's book about being the servant, the suffering servant idea. Okay. And the Beatman books about his, you know, his... His spiritual autobiographies. Yes. Okay. And, um... And I like a lot. I like highbrow and lowbrow. I, I enjoy. <laughs> we do. I know. I we can enjoy, do some airport reads with the best of them. I can do some vampire books. Like yeah, I know. You love your vampire love, love stories. Vampire. <laughs> I love a love story. I do. No, I love a love story, too. No, and I like the superhero. I mean, I'm a, I enjoy that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, there's some deeper books in me. But the uh, pleasure of reading, I have always, uh, it'll be sad if I... If I ever lose that. Well, I think that, and I wish I'd, I keep saying I'm going to do this because I love that you're doing it, but I'm kind of doing it a little bit right now with doing the stuff for my new book is looking up scriptures and you do that in the morning. So you okay. will be, you have a book that prompts you um, with what the scripture is. And then you go to your Bible and you actually mm-hmm. look up the scripture. And I read the King James version because the Bible I have has my mother's message to me. Um, the 
January that you were born. After, oh. I know. After you were born, she gave me this little Bible, and it's the King James Version. So my scriptural reading, I stay in the King James Version. And I know most people don't do that, maybe. No, but that suits you. I but can see you reading you. the more poetic Yeah. Um, I mean, it, and I version. find more and more... Um, Pleasure is not the right word. Comfort in it. In, in doing that exercise. In reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I would highly recommend it. I know. I really feel like you, you know you know the scriptures. Like you know I think the, it would bring you a lot of joy and comfort. Uh, I like the treasure hunt, though. I like the idea of, like I'm doing it right now for the book where I'm you know going through and finding scriptures that I never thought. Like I showed you that one the well-watered garden. Mm -hmm. We all like images. And I found that in mm -hmm. Jeremiah the other day. I'm like, what so a beautiful scripture. Beautiful images in the Bible. So many like beautiful that. images. And I was telling my sister a couple weeks ago that, you know, in this modern crazy world, you read in the Bible, those people, we, we're very um, um, tied together. Their experience right. is not this unbelievable technology. Yeah, they're not doing Amazon and iPhones, but they're right. doing but the same, same emotional stuff, physical, all the things that humans experience. It's right there. Mm -hmm. And the, the answers are all human. That's the, the thing. Same. It's all, we're all human trying and to do the best we can. happen to is right there in the Bible. People either did For or sure. happened to them, the misfortunes. And the, the relief is seeing how that resolves. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I'm really happy with doing that. It's true. I love that because ultimately God does resolve everything, right? In some way. We're counting on And it's it. usually not necessarily the way that we chose. kind of plan or chose for it to happen, but somehow God resolves it and it ends up being better for us. It takes a while maybe to see that. And maybe yes. sometimes we don't see it in our own lifetime. Unfortunately, that could be true too. Right? I mean, right. some of the things that. Well, there's the faith thing again to just know it will be. It will be okay. I know. I'm telling you, the faith thing is hard because you have to keep coming back. I wish. I remember when I was like nine years old and um, I would spend the night with Mimi and she was Baptist and. And so you knew if you're spending the night with her on Saturday night, it was going to be really fun because you were going to watch Johnny Carson and she was going to make the fruit bowl. But then on Sunday, you were going to church with her. And, and, and there was this sense of they would do the altar call where people would come down to the altar. And I was always so nervous about that. But there was a part of me that so wanted just to run down and do the altar call just to see, like, what does that mean when you actually just say, OK, like I believe and then the minister says something to you and then you leave out the doors on that Sunday morning and that it would be that simple that you could just go down to the altar and you and could say it's yes. it's supposed to be, but so much keeps it more cluttered up than that. Our ego and the yeah, world that we live the in. Circumstances and the circumstances and the news, everything. It's just, it's supposed to be less complicated. I know. But it is kind of a daily having to say, I'm going to trust you. Right. I'm going to be kind. Right. I'm going to try. To I'm going to try to be real 
patient with the 16 year old and the three year old today. <laughs> well, you right? just do the best you can do. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so you know, I've been doing this whole year of living soulfully. And everything, you know this better than anyone does, but everything I write is usually something that I'm trying to, I'm struggling with or I want to do better at or I'm curious about. And so this living soulfully is this, how can I, in such a busy life, trying to raise the kids, still live kind of in a soulful, sacred way? Because you can have many days that you start at six o'clock in the morning and you end at 10 o'clock at night and you're like, I didn't do one sacred <laughs> soulful Christian yeah, spiritual like thing today. And, yeah. and so what does it mean to you to live a soulful life? Or how to, well, kindness as much as possible. Um, finding peace in nature, uh, finding pleasure and laughter with daughters and friends and husbands and reading a great book or watching a wonderful movie. Mm -hmm. As you're binge watching right now, Discovery of Witches. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to tell that, yes. Um, because it is a, a good great story. A cup of coffee. Oh, we love a great cup of coffee. A 15-minute phone call from Farrell Mason. Another soulful moment. Mom prayer life. Just acknowledge that 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 I'm trying to find you, find God, and good health, feeling good and strong. Taking care of yourself, right? These are just popping into my head. A good meal. I can even go with you on that. I'm not yeah. the foodie that you are, but but a and a glass of wine with somebody and talk about their their grandchildren and yours and what funny stories they do. Those are peaceful, happy, faithful moments. You're like the one person you would always want to be seated by at a dinner party, Mom. Oh, I, I'm tongue-tied. One, because you're so generous with conversation, but you have so many interesting things to add to the conversation. And you do it in such a quiet way, but you're like the best person to have at a dinner table. I don't know. I'm a pretty good listener. You are a way. good listener. I don't know that I have anything clever to say. No, you do. You have a lot of clever listen. things to say. Well, you are very kind. Um, I think something that might surprise people about you that know you is that, which I love, and I think there's something in here that we should pull out, is you start your day with something sweet which is usually a donut for breakfast with your coffee. And you end your day with something sweet, which is usually a I hadn't cookie. thought of that, but that's true. They're like little, little treats. I know. So way. I think there's something to be about said treats. about. Wouldn't you say we did treats a lot? We did. We I think. Hard time well, yeah, York. but oh, in New York, for sure. We got a kick out of an olive yeah, twist. I mean, I that know. was like, well, and that's what I'm getting to. Like I, one of the things that I try to do is to get excited about the small things. And in our household growing up, we would get kind of excited about the littlest things. But I love that you you start your day with a donut. I mean, it's like the best, Mom. Like, you're like, I'm going to 
gotta treat myself with a little donut with my coffee in the morning. And then darn it if we didn't go to Whole Foods to make sure we had your cookies for after dinner. I love that. Yes. I can remember thinking I was gonna die on one of those streets on Riverside near Riverside Park in New York with you and it was six degrees. And I walked to some bakery four blocks away, and I thought, the, the irony of this is I'm probably going to die out here. <laughs> I'm going to freeze to death getting my muffins. <laughs> I know, because our muffins, we love our muffins. I know, a treat, a little I treat. I, I think I got that from my dad. He was a very happy person, just giving give him a little treat or meet somebody new. He liked to yeah, meet somebody meet new. new. Mm-hmm. And he would get a kick out of it. And I, I think that finding joy in small things is is a real gift to your child to have them do to that. To teach them to be excited to about. Because yeah, really life isn't about the big stuff, right? It is about these little It's one little nuggets. Time, little minutes at a time, little experiences at a time. Right. And, you know, treating yourself is not a bad thing. It's like a little donut in the morning. I mean, look at you. You're like, I won't even say your age, but you're young, young, young. But you're I'm like tip-top shape I'm, having I'm a donut. i shape enough. Well, the best I can do. But a donut helps. <laughs> when in doubt. Have a, donut. have a donut. Or a muffin or a chocolate chip cookie. Yes. But that's not your favorite. Your favorite is a ginger the cookie. A ginger cookie. Right. Okay. Um, okay, so... Um, I always end my blog with live in hope because, and I, you know this, that I, I just want to be a person of hope in the world because it hurts me when people are hurting and I want to be the person that gives them hope. But also I always fear that something in this world will take, my, take the hope away from me and I'm so afraid of being in a place like that. Um, what would you say your definition of hope is? Thinking it's going to get better. Okay. Believing that 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 this is not the end. That this is not the we're not at rock bottom. We're not it's not over. The story's not over yet. It looks bad now, but it's going to get better. I just have to believe and wait. And for me that's hope. That's hope. That God will do something redemptive. Yeah, I don't see it today and I'm about to die. But something is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I, I, I just hang on to that. Because we were just going over my piece that I'm writing for Easter, and we were saying that it never stays winter. Like, the spring always comes. Like, in, in the, since the very beginning of time with the Big Bang, I mean, it's never just been winter. Spring has come, and we have to see that on the smallest scale, but also then the ultimate scale that will be and that, there'll be life that after. The old thing we used to say: the bad won't last forever. Yeah, because you always say that. Remember, Farrell, the joy will come in the, the morning. The joy will come. It, it it won't stay, but it'll keep coming back. Right. The bad will not be the end. All right, Mom, I love you. I love you too. That was good.